Hello, Hello yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie. How are we doing? It's been a week. Bit of a week this week. It's been a week and what a week it has been. Yeah. How are you? Um, I mean, obviously we need to start by saying we're both, you know, incredibly lucky. If there's anyone who is tuning in from overseas or has somehow missed it, I'm not quite sure how you can miss it, but the area that we both live in has been going through some absolutely devastating flooding. Thousands upon thousands of homes have been ruined. People have been left homeless with no contents, none of their belongings. Yeah, it's just been a really, really devastating week in our area. But as I said, we've both been extremely lucky that uh, neither of our houses were significantly affected by it. Jade, I believe you were stuck in your home for quite some time. (laughs) Yes, we were stuck up on a hill but in the whole scale of things we were very grateful that we were on a hill and I just want to say when a disaster or something in the community happens what you start realizing like the tiny things that you take for granted and how much you appreciate them like Mm. I was having a conversation with a woman during this time and I was like I'm just so thankful that you know I've got a house on top of a hill and I can get from A to B if I need to. And it's all these simple things. Even just having the sun out for an hour was like a blessing for everyone so they could actually get their hands dirty and start cleaning up. So we've really, yeah, look, our hearts have been hit hard and I want to thank all the community and everyone else that has been chipping in any way that they can. It's been a pretty trying time, even on social media. I think a lot of people are getting very frustrated. They're very upset. It's it's quite overwhelming at the moment. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, everyone who is in there is doing the best they can to try and help. And it has been such a nice thing to see. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been like such a low week, but what has come with that are so many any, you know, amazing acts of bravery, of service, of donations, all the above. And we really wanted to get you guys an episode on time because, you know, sometimes when there's a lot of noise, it's nice to escape. And so we won't talk about this for too long because we know that everyone's seen it on social media. You know, people are doing what they can. People from interstate are already feeling helpless, wondering what they can do. So we won't go on too long, but we just want to explain like why this episode is late on and off throughout the week we've been without power we've had no internet for the entire week the only way I've had phone service is by hotspotting off my sister-in-law and she had barely any too so it just wasn't we weren't able to technologically get together to record an episode or put it out there. So thank you for your patience. We hope it was worth the wait. But as I said, yeah, major lows this week, but obviously we both are feeling really, really grateful for what we have and trying to do our bit to help those that, you know, really have lost so much. Absolutely. And on another high note, who is loving the newsletter? Anyone? Come on. (laughs) Nah, honestly, people have been giving us feedback. We probably need a little bit more feedback and love, to be honest, about the (laughs) newsletter, but I am loving it. It is fun and don't think that, oh, it's just stuff that you're going to see on social media. There are going to be things that are exclusive in that newsletter. Sophie's laughing going, is there, Jay? I'm is laughing there? because yes, I'll be. wait till you see my outfit from the, from last week's um, <laughs> newsletter. It's an yeah, absolute Yeah, it's really, ripper. really good. Yeah, but moving on, we'll try and keep things as light as possible today. Do you have a mum hack for us? Okay, I've got a mum hack that was sent in and thank you to everyone that if you do have a mum hack or a rude or fabulous or a parenting pickle, please write that 
at the start of your whatever it is because it'll come up easier for us to find. But this is someone's mum hack. Hi, ladies. Love the podcast. (laughs) I get something out of every episode. She actually said that. (laughs) Even if the topic doesn't necessarily relate to me. So my mum hack is something I discovered at the beginning of Sydney's lockdown when I was trying to relax with a cup of tea, but my two-year-old wouldn't let me. It turns out if you suggest an activity they absolutely don't want to do ever, such as getting dressed (laughs) or changing their nappy, they will run away from you and hide, giving you at least five minutes of peace. Of course, you do have to change them eventually. Or not, but at least you got your tea in. I love that. Or oh, say yeah, we've girl. got to get in the car seat. You won't see them for a solid 25 minutes. No. You can have nearly a three-course meal in that time. Oh, now, I've great. got a Rudolph Fabulous for us this week that was also sent in. This one came in from the legendary Alex. Don't know if we can even pretend this is fabulous, but it's definitely rude. My two-year-old daughter likes to boss me around about how I look. No mummy, hair up. No mummy, hat off. No mummy, sunnies on, and so on and so forth. The other day we were in the bath together and she told me, no mummy boobies touching belly. (laughs) Nice to hear she doesn't approve of the saggy tits she caused. (laughs) Oh, my God. That is bloody fabulous and rude, but bloody fabulous. I'm sure they're still looking absolutely fab as you can tuck your nipple into your belly button. But moving on, we hope you like this week's episode. It is with the beautiful Emily. She is a dermatology nurse and we chat all about different pregnancy skin concerns, products you can and can't use when you're pregnant and breastfeeding and yeah, just some other stuff. And so, so much more. So we hope you enjoy. And we Missed you all. Thanks for your patience. Hello, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Before we get started, can you tell our beautiful listeners a little bit about yourself and what we're going to be chatting about? So hello, thanks for having me. My name's Emily Fenton and I'm a um, nurse practitioner in dermatology. I've pretty much spent my whole nursing career in derm. Um, I love it. There's so much to learn. There's so much to do. There's, you know, anything from babies right through to older people, from, you know, sort of medical concerns through to cosmetic. But pretty much today, obviously, we'll be talking about more pregnancy-related skin concerns and, you know, products, ingredients, things that you can and can't use because I get it. It gets very overwhelming. You get told you can do this, you can't do that, maybe do this, change that. And so I'm here to help, I'm going to say debunk maybe some of the myths that you might have heard. Yeah. yeah, we're super excited because we think it's, I mean, we'll get into how common skin issues are in pregnancy, but we feel like it's another area of child rearing that you're kind of just told like, oh yeah, if you get this, that just suck it up. Like it's just another like, yeah, well, you're pregnant. What do you expect type thing? So we are really excited to have a chat about what are some things that we can, you know, what are some treatments that can make us feel better or, you know, cause some things can be painful and some things can be itchy. And, you know, it's more than just the cosmetic side of things as well. So, yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, that's okay. Thanks for having me. Now let's get stuck in. Is it common to get skin changes during pregnancy? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's unfortunately the case of, as we all know, it's either yes or no. And some patients will get all of the problems and changes and then your best friend will roll through pregnancy and just like a glamazon and you're literally like this is so unfair why why if you think it's unfair though I do think that like generally everyone suffers from something like I would like to think that I haven't had that many skin issues but don't worry I've had issues in other regards right (laughs) Jade did you have any skin changes in any of your pregnancies Oh, absolutely. I actually had really, really intense face acne when I was first pregnant with Mia. And I'm someone that has been lucky enough to swim and sail through teenage years without (laughs) even having a pimple. I know it's just painful, but then all of a sudden, I got slammed with my left face. I wish, I wonder if I've got a photo, but the side of my left face was completely full of acne mm. and I was sore. It was sort of touch. It was red and it made me feel 
already I was vomiting. So it made me feel really, really uncomfortable. Yeah. No, a lot of like, yeah, a lot of women experience changes, either pigment, acne, dry skin, oily skin, hair loss, hair changes, pigment in places they've never seen pigment before. Like honestly, the list can kind of go on. I'm, I will go to say I'm pretty like blessed, like I'm pregnant at the moment and I've already got a one and a bit year old at home. And thankfully I sailed through the skin changes, I say department, but I was literally like, it's my job. Please help me. (laughs) And do you find that it tends to be like, is Jade an anomaly that she's not really someone who suffered from acne before, but then had it bad? Does it tend to be a flare up of skin conditions you already have or have suffered with? Or is it really common that it's like something that you like, you know, you've never had eczema and all of a sudden you have eczema or you've never had acne and all of a sudden you have acne. And basically, is it hormones? or is it the hot dogs that I ate? (laughs) (laughs) I want to say maybe the hot dogs. Um, That was filthy. But I'm going to say like hormones, honestly, we blame them for everything during pregnancy, but they are a big contributing factor. I blame them for everything in life, not just pregnancy. (laughs) It is beyond. (laughs) Beyond the bump. Yeah. Yeah, But, yeah, I will go to say, yeah, hormones are a big play, but I see it commonly like in my practice when I'm treating patients that I'll ask them like, you know, did you have acne as a kid or a teenager? And they're like, yeah, mild. But a lot of people will be like, I've never had this before. Mm. What is going on? And I literally say to them, like, there's no explanation to say it's definitely this or it's definitely that. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, I'm going to say a tricky one. Mm. And does it tend to be if you suffer from a certain skin condition in one pregnancy, you'll probably have the same thing in another or might you switch to just another skin domain? Yeah, you can literally like flick between them or not flick, but, you know, one you might have like, great skin. Next one, you might have acne. A lot of the time women that suffer from melasma, which is a pigmentation condition, tend to have it through the whole lot of them. Mm -hmm. Whereas sometimes, you know, and this is us because there's still not a great deal of research in these areas is that sometimes it's like, oh, it's, you're having a boy. So this is because of this. This is why your skin's like that. Or you had a girl and this is why your skin's like this, because some of the like hormones that you do produce, I'm going to say in your placenta as well, change what your skin will do as well. So there's a big like, yeah, long story that will keep going. What an uplifting podcast. <laughs> yeah, we fully, like until literally we fully research, which this is science for you in medicine, that it will, you know, we'll continue to learn and know what causes and why things change. So why the fuck do we call it the pregnancy glow? When this is really the reality for most of us, like I didn't even have skin issues, but because I was so sick, I was an awful shade of grey. I feel like we really need to step away from the term pregnancy glow. Like it's a lovely compliment for people to say to a pregnant woman, but for most pregnant women, they don't feel that way inside or out. And it's almost like they are made to feel ripped off when they didn't get this supposed glow that everyone should have when pregnant. And all I got was acne and vomiting. So I don't know. I just feel like we don't need to say that anymore. What do you think? I I definitely agree that we should like kind of change our terms, but that it is, it's the same as there's the one percenters that will continue to get the pregnancy glow. So we think as a society, let's keep talking about it because some people are still getting it, but you know, it is because like if people do experience the glow or they experience like some positive changes to their skin, it's because like our body is producing an increase in oil production. So for you, Jade, you would have more noticed an excessive oil production, not just like a Hell little yeah. bit. Yeah. And then the same thing is that we've got the increase in blood flow. So that makes us look a little bit more rosier than what we would have looked potentially without that excessive blood flow from the baby changes. So for some people, yes, they're going to get the glow, but some people end up on the opposite end and get either redder skin. So more inflammation, eczema, dryness, or acne or pigment changes. So it's not everybody getting the true glow. But you obviously you're pregnant now and Sophie, you've been pregnant in that time when you felt like you were really sick and unwell. And if someone stopped you in the street and said, oh, you're glowing, like, would you instantly just be like, fuck, you're a liar? 
I don't think anyone ever stopped me to tell me I was glowing, especially with my first one. <laughs> You're when too I much was, in the gutter. When I was really sick, the only comments I got were like, oh, are you sure you're not having twins? Wow, how many of them are there in there? Wow, you must be due soon. No, I was like halfway through. I don't think I got any comments about glowing or like looking good. <laughs> <laughs> now, do most of these skin conditions resolve postpartum or are there some that just continue on. <laughs> <laughs> Some will continue on, yes. More commonly, melasma, as I keep saying, keeps is something that does tend to go on and acne for a certain extent. But it depends, again, if the lady tends or chooses to breastfeed because then we've got hormones that, again, come into play for that, whereas some patients who may, you know, end up feeding their child through bottle will may notice that it resolves a lot quicker because their hormones kind of got like changed rapidly. Whereas for breastfeeding women, it can tends to go more like a decline as they slowly start yeah. to reduce in feeds or maybe their supply is starting to drop. So their hormones are changing from that. So yes, it, it can resolve postpartum, but for some things it might just take a little bit of an extra push along. And are melasma and hyperpigmentation the same thing? No, Well, no. Oh. We will say like hyperpigmentation because some people will develop it like along their like neck creases around their areola, maybe the linear nigra that you get like mm. down your belly. So we would call that more hyperpigmentation, whereas melasma is actually like a diagnosable condition. So if it generally affects faces, so like cheek, mm. Across the nose, upper lip, and the central forehead. I think my mum has that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, mum. <laughs> so that's where we would say, like, that's melasma rather than hyperpigmentation. If we don't know what's caused it, then we might just group it in hyperpigmentation because it would be easier. Right. And how do you treat it? Melasma or hyperpigmentation? Both. Both. Okay, so melasma, if you're noticing pigmentation changes, I cannot stress it enough. Like we live in Australia, we have very high rates of UV exposure here. Sun protection is going to be your biggest and bestest friend because our pigment-producing cells, the ones that give us, you know, a nice 10, which isn't cool, but <laughs> is that it will kind of like worsen the pigment because they just keep getting excited all the time. Whereas if you're wearing sunscreen, it will act as like a blocker so that those pigment producing cells can't get excited and can't get darker. So sunlight is a sunscreen, sorry, is like, or sun protection in general is like first line defense. Slip, slop, slap and put on that hat. That's it. That's it. <laughs> you like that, so Love that. You're such a dag, but I love it. It's true. But if we're talking more generally, so we've just found out we're pregnant or we're just starting to try to conceive, what kind of general changes should we be making to our skincare in terms of what should we focus on and what things should we avoid? So the big one that we all know, well, most people have heard of is retinols. And that's because the studies were conducted in very high strengths in more taking it orally that it does cause like not to like alert anybody, but birth defects. But what you're getting topically is a very small amount. So we tend to say stop all retinols. And it's just because there, again, hasn't been enough studies done to give us the right answers as well as if somebody's sort of like experiencing drier skin already so they're sitting in that eczema realm is that we would encourage them to really be looking at making sure you're upping the moisture because if you are experiencing you know say the morning sickness and feeling unwell and you just can't hydrate yourself inside try to at least help your skin from the outside and moisturize but really all I kind of say is just step back the skincare so like everything just onto that gentler approach until you know what your skin's doing is probably my biggest advice. I have a question for you. Obviously, we put on weight during pregnancy. I had a varicose vein form in the side of my thigh and the doctor said that it would go away after pregnancy and it did, but I was left with these vibrant red capillary veins that I think may have burst yeah. and in particular it's like my inner thigh back of my legs is this something that we can treat postpartum you can broken capillaries are a little bit more i'm going to say harder to treat say topically because that tends Great. to where we go 
with everything is like, oh, first line, let's put something on the skin to absorb in. But broken capillaries have is more because trauma's happened to that area. So your varicose vein caused the trauma for the broken capillaries. The oh. best, I'm going to say, treatment option or wise would be to see somebody because laser might be an option or there is another sort of like technique called sclerotherapy, which could be a second thing that they might you know, sort of opt for. It's funny because you can, I'll, I'll post a photo of it. Like you can see a really faint line now, like it was a varicose vein and now that's gone down. It's not like bloating out of my leg, but then around it is exactly what you said, all these burst veins. Speaking of laser in general, can you still do things like laser and lead light when you're pregnant? Like not necessarily for varicose veins or burst capillaries, but like for hair removal or treatment for other things? things we like me as a practitioner I would generally get patients to stop because the you got to outweigh the risks and benefits the like for instance if you didn't know that you were pregnant and you were still getting say your Brazilian lasered or something like that and then next week you're like oh my gosh like I'm pregnant and I just had treatment last week you know sort of the light from the laser is not going to penetrate that deep and you're not really treating where the sort of I'm going to say fetus is at that point but it's more about if there's complications afterwards, like say, for instance, we got an infection or, you know, maybe something happened that was quite, you know, rare that we don't have the same tools in our toolbox that we can treat you if you're not mm. pregnant. But things like, for instance, like your LED lights, they're very safe in pregnancy and it is something that, you know, I'm not going to say will help with the pregnancy glow, but, you know, is something that you could do for a treatment for yourself for a little pick-me-up if you're wanting to look after yourself. What are the benefits of LED? Um, there's three main, I'm going to say, wavelengths that you'll commonly see in practices, but I'll talk of them in colours because that tends to be what everybody knows. There's yellow, which will help with just like wound healing. There's red, which helps with like collagen stimulation and, again, with wound healing. And then there's blue, which helps mainly with this fancy little thing in your skin called your porphyrins that will help with acne. So, yeah. Awesome. So it is a legitimate thing that works. Yeah. Because I love getting it done, but I'm like, am I telling myself that I look bullshit good after this or do I actually look bullshit good? Nah, you're bullshit good. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what are those little tiny dots that you sometimes get on your face or your arms during pregnancy? Are they also burst veins? They look like burst veins. Yeah. They look like red freckles. I'm going to say if they're like on the outside of your arm here and some lady gets some some or ladies gentlemen can do it too on their sides of their thighs and yes you can get it on your face as well it's called keratosis polaris and basically we have hair follicles or hair all over our body but basically it's caused by usually dryness in the skin and then those hair follicles get plugged um, and that's why it kind of looks like a bit like a pimple but it's not quite a pimple if that makes sense. So like people can like squeeze them and cause quite a lot of trauma to themselves, but it's usually because the skin's dry and not turning over as well as it usually would. I thought it was because I was vomiting so much. I burst under my eyelids. No. No. Well, there you go. You learn something Very new every day. Now, what are active ingredients that we can use while pregnant and breastfeeding? So retinol's not encouraged. Is there anything we can swap that out for or other things that we can continue? Um, so I tend to say like keep in C's so long as you're not super dry because that will help with like brightness and pigmentation. Then you've got vitamin B's that will help with sort of hydration Hyaluronic acid is a really nice one as well for just trying to boost that skin's level. And when, you know, we're not allowed to have Botox or filler when we're pregnant. So this is our own way of trying to give as much, I'm going to say plumpness back to our skin. And then I would encourage, you know, sort of like some sort of gentle exfoliation in there, whether or not that's through glycolic acids, um, maybe some very low strength salicylic if we're suffering from acne. And then again, just to jump on the bandwagon sunscreen, like I can't stress it enough. Yeah. And is there anything, so you've just found out you're pregnant, anything you can use to avoid skin issues or just keep using that sun cream as much moisturizer as possible? Are you just going to kind of get what you're going to get? Kind of. And you don't get upset. That's what Poppy learns at daycare. (laughs) You get what you get and you don't get upset. Yeah, a little bit. I guess it's more just like watching when your skin starts to change. Like if you're noticing that it's getting dry out, well, if you're using a lotion to moisturize with, maybe you might need to step it up to go to like a thicker balm or ointment. You know, your skin might be like literally like 
sucking that moisture straight in that you might need to add to that. If you're noticing that you're starting to get maybe one or two little breakouts, then you might reach for more, I'm going to say acne sort of skincare and same thing with pigment. If you're just noticing that it's, it tends to come pretty quick when it is pigment, but if it is, then you'd be like, okay, quick, I need to be better with my sunscreen, not just put it on at 5am. I need to reapply it if I'm taking the kids outside at lunchtime. So, yeah. I didn't realize that there were so many elements when it comes to your skin. Like in terms of weather here, I have really oil, like not oily, I have really dewy skin and it's healthy. And then I will fly to Melbourne and I will be, I'll use the same products and everything is dry. Everything's not going on. And it took me a while to go, what is happening? And mom's like, it's dry here, Jay. I'm like, ow. Yeah. The humidity in, you know, sort of, I'm going to say, the northern part of Australia, especially like Queensland, northern New South Wales, the humidity gives your skin like a little bit of a hug and to say like, here, I'll hydrate. It's like a facial. Yeah, it's like I'll hydrate you from the outside rather than when you're down south where it's like the cold wind is like, no, let's get rid of all of that. (laughs) Now we asked all our beautiful listeners to send in questions that they had about skin issues that they may be worried about or have experienced themselves. And basically, I think every skin issue has been sent in here. And we've started touching on a few of them, but I thought it might be helpful to kind of rapid fire through the different conditions. Number one, this podcast could be used as a form of contraception, but also to make people who maybe are going through them feel less alone or maybe get some tips on what they can do. Uh, The first one was hyperpigmentation, which we've already spoken about. So we think that it's hormonal is that right and it's best to use SPF is there anything else we want to say about hyperpigmentation so if it is more the hyperpigmentation the sun protection is going to be your best line a lot of it will fade postpartum because it is more of a hormonal shift within our bodies that melanocyte so it's our pigment producing cell has a little bit more I'm going to say sort of like production within the epidermis, which is that top layer of your skin that you will see. So yeah, there's not much that we can do to change it. Like if you're going to get some like, you know, dark pigmentation around your neck, underneath your underarm arms, a lot of women will also notice potentially that their like genitals and nipples will start to darken. Oh my gosh, my nipples got so dark, but they've remained quite dark. Yeah. 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 They're real dark. Yeah. So that, that will kind of shift and sometimes not change back truly to the color that it was pre-pregnancy but women will definitely notice that like their linear nigra if they do develop one kind of like more like it grows up as the pregnancy grows and then kind of like grows back down mm. which is quite, like yeah. so fascinating to watch because you're like oh it's like going but it's like every day you wake up and it's slowly like dropping just that little bit and then all of a sudden you're like oh you're gone <laughs> and then I had one I had that line when I was pregnant with Poppy but I don't really remember I don't think I got it when I was pregnant with Goldie yeah so again it's like literally dependent on hormones which for every single pregnancy will be completely different yeah so some women won't even develop it at all and then some people will literally look like they've got like a nico and like a nicoed their like belly with a line is that it's so dark and some people it'll be it'll be there but it'll just be ever so faint that they may not even notice it my sister-in-law begged to come on to talk to you today and I said just relax and listen to the podcast when it comes out but she did ask me to ask you a question she suffers from dermatitis on her hands and she wanted to know if long-term use of cortisone creams do damage to your skin because she's saying that they are strong but it's the only thing that has actually helped and it's like the poor love like she's got two kids they're so itchy they're inflamed what can she do so topical steroids are like first line we get a lot of like even parents when their child is first I'm going to say prescribed them that they get quite nervous and you know you just have to google something and it'll come up saying like oh you know (laughs) topical steroids are terrible use this and you will die Yeah. And so people get quite nervous using them, especially for long periods of time. But if there's any inflammation in the area, so redness, dryness, thickening of the skin, people don't realize that that's still active eczema in the location. Topical steroids should definitely still be used. And then like moisturizing and getting like a good quality one, especially 
being a parent or just being somebody living in a COVID place at the moment, which I don't think there's none that don't have it, but <laughs> we wash our hands so frequently and especially using like alcohol hand sanitizer is that that will just rip your hands to shreds. Like it's taking all the moisture that you just had there and getting rid of it. So hand creams are a big one. And then they tend to be for when you get suffer from, especially like dermatitis on your hands, They'll have to be a bit thicker, so not those nice smelly, fragrant ones. It'll have to be sort of, yeah, definitely like a thick, more, we call them emollients, but like an ointment. And do they soak in enough that then you can go about like your day-to-day activities? Because you don't want to be feeling like a seal. I'm just imagining like trying to change it. Seriously, yeah. I'm like you're trying to prepare your kids' snacks and you're like dropping everything. <laughs> I just say kind of pop the moisturiser on, try to let it sit for as long as you possibly can and then any remaining just like pat it dry, like get a towel, like kitchen towel and just like kind of like pat the excess from your hands away. But it's usually like the worst spot for a lot of people is in their webbing. Mm. So to try to keep that as much like hydrate and do it, you know, five, six, seven, ten times a day. And what is the cause for dermatitis? Is it stress? Is it weather? Is it hormones? Is it all of it? So depending where it, I say fell, so if they've had it all their life, there may be like a deficiency in this fancy thing called a filigree gene and their body is just not able to produce the, you know, sort of required amounts of hydration as somebody without eczema. Plus they sometimes will fall into a category of atopy. So maybe they have hay fever, they have eczema, they have allergies, they have asthma. So it's all kind of like grouping together in that their body is just not working for them. That was my next question. What is the actual difference between dermatitis and eczema? Same thing. Really? Yeah, we just kind of like use a different name. (laughs) So if someone was struggling, like if someone was like had a metal allergy or was allergic to something, is that just something that's in their system so they're more prone to either eczema or dermatitis? Yeah. Wow. And why do so many people when they're pregnant suffer from perioral, so like around the mouth dermatitis? Because we had so many people write in saying, you know, they had such painful, like Mm. debilitating perioral dermatitis. Why does it go there? This one I can also spoke for personal experience because this did happen to me. Oh, she's not a unicorn after all. (laughs) (laughs) This did happen on my first pregnancy with my daughter. Same thing. I was literally like, oh, my God, it's so, like, stingy. And anytime I'd, like, blow my nose, I'd be like, oh, my God, I don't want to blow anymore because it's just literally, it's, again, it's an inflammatory skin condition and our bodies already sit in, like, a bit of an inflammatory state being pregnant that sometimes it's just a change in, yes, those hydration levels, but as well as our skin microbiome biome to sound fancy also changes so our you know sort of natural bacteria fungus you know viruses that just live on us you know sort of wholeheartedly we're just gross aren't we we're just fucking feral (laughs) (laughs) it's not until you say it out loud that you're literally like this is disgusting but they can sometimes change and that you just need to add yeah more literally hydration to the area to try to decrease I guess the amount of inflammation as well as I'm going to say bacterial component of it because it does tend to be a little bit like antibacterial, but it's not true dermatitis like you would treat your sister's hands, Jade, like we get a topical steroid quick. But when it's the perioral dermatitis, we're like, please stay away from them because they don't work well in this situation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's just hydration, hydration, hydration. Hydration or there's a product or an ingredient, should I say, called azelaic acid. And that works quite well because it works both as an anti-inflammatory and as a antibacterial. And do they know why it happens around the mouth? No. So it can affect, so we call it perioral dermatitis when it affects like nose, like that literally like crease when you smile, like that nose around like your mouth. where a moustache to beard would go. Yeah, but it can affect like eye, like around your eyes. So mm. the term, again, because we change words up all the time, is that it is actually called perioral facial dermatitis, meaning that it's that dry, sort of very dry scale that will present around your eyes, noses and mouths. And is eczema slash dermatitis genetic? 
Yes. Well, yes, to a certain extent. Let me, re- <laughs> I got a bit excited. Like, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And like, no, sometimes, yes, you'll pass on that atopy gene that I was talking about before with that asthma, the allergies, the eczema, is that it can get passed down. However, like anything, you may, you know, suffer from both, you know, eczema, asthma, whatever. And then your child is literally just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm okay. Mm. So, and some people wrote in about cloasma. What's that? Okay, so it actually is. <laughs> it's all the names. It's the names in dermatology. We try to be very fancy, but it's very similar to melasma. <laughs> similar to melasma. So there's a. Ma, okay. So it's similar to melasma, which is almost the same thing as hyperpigmentation. <laughs> And so we could, the same so as we could just have like a couple of One words. Word. <laughs> yeah. But we just like to like, because then we definitely know what we're talking about. But yes. But no one else does. Us. Yeah. <laughs> and you come in here and we'll tell you that you've got this condition and you think, I thought I had hyperpigmentation. We're like, no, it's melasma. And you think, oh, okay. Oh, right. then I'll leave then. But it's yeah, literally the exact same thing as melasma. And in the same place. In the same place. So you can also develop like melasma is pretty much very common on a face, Mm -hmm. but it can affect like down onto next decolletages Mm -hmm. as well. Because someone actually wrote in saying she's postpartum and she's still breastfeeding and she says she has it quite badly on the back of her arms. Yeah. So it's literally just a presentation of like symmetrical pigmentation. Right. And so to that lady, you would just say, make sure you wear sun cream and probably when she stops breastfeeding, it'll go away. Yeah. Or postpartum, then we can kind of step things up and get a little bit more exciting with products that you can kind of use or treatment options. But it's just during that literally active breastfeeding pregnancy world is that nothing fun kind of happens with skincare. Like we have to just step it back and it's just because of research. We just don't know how things respond or, yeah, it's a bit unethical to treat on pregnant ladies. Now can we talk a little bit about hair? Why in pregnancy do some people, like and I'm talking about all over the body and on the head, like I felt like at the start of pregnancy I got heaps of hair like on my nipples and like a bit of a snail trail. But then for the rest of the pregnancy, it felt like no hair really grew anywhere on my body. I got a beard. No, I didn't, but I could (laughs) have. You could have. Again, it's the hormones that do sort of like change and it will either cause an increase for some women or it causes a decrease in some patients. Usually a lot of patients will, yes, notice hair around nipples maybe you know sort of in that bikini line area will start to change so that like extends like up to that sort of like belly button region Mm. some women and it's just due to literally changes within your ovaries and the placental androgens which are responsible for hair growth a lot of women do say like their hair gets thicker like they're like Mm. I love pregnancy like my hair is so thick it's so lush but what happens is is your hair goes through like kind of like three cycles one when it's growing one when it rests and then one when it falls out and it kind of slows that sort of process down that it sits in that sort of like resting phase for a lot longer rather than the fallout phase so that's why you feel like you literally got like a mane of hair and then why postpartum people will then say like why does my hair fall out and it's because it's going through that kind of like I'm going to say fallout phase and it kind of all happens together so you've gone from like a nice thick mane to then it all kind of not falling out at once so you're probably not actually losing like for a I mean there are some people obviously who lose an excessive like a lot of hair postpartum but generally speaking it's more so that you're just losing the hair that you probably should have lost while you were pregnant but you were just in that waiting phase instead yeah because it's scary I I hated that postpartum I remember being like no one talks about this I think it's such an important conversation to have because it also happened to me a few weeks postpartum and when I was in the shower I had clumps of hair going into the drain and I freaked the F out like I I thought I googled it and it came up with alopecia and I had no idea with the first child that this is something that's incredibly common so if anyone is out there yes you are absolutely not alone and it is really good to know that 
I guess, feeling that you're not losing your normal hair, you're just shedding your pregnancy hair in a way. And I think the scariest part for women is that it can go up to like sort of that sort of year and a half mark Mm. after pregnancy. Then we get baby snaps. So then people are like kind of thinking like, no, I thought it all fell out like once the baby came and for some patients, yes, it will fall out then. And then it'll kind of, some people it's like six months, some people it's 12 months. And then some people are getting to that, you know, sort of 18 month time frame, and they're literally like, now my hair falls out, but I haven't changed. Like I've stopped breastfeeding or whatever. Mm. And now my hair falls out. Like I'm so confused, but the big difference to what you're trying, like, like I'm going to say, talk about alopecia, look for like more like gaps so like legit balded areas versus like hair loss, if that makes sense. So that like, you know, when you style your hair or, you know, strain it or whatever, and if you're finding like you can feel like a very smooth spot, that's when you would definitely go seek help from a medical practitioner because then right. it would be more alopecia. I did feel like I lost enough hair though that like my hairline mm. receded. looked receded. a bit receded like symmetrically on both sides. And I remember being relieved when it stopped falling out but then the regrowth stage was almost worse because I felt like I had these ginormous horns and, you know, you're stoked that it's growing back, but it's this awful, I remember being so self-conscious about it because I was like, everyone talks about the mum bun. How do any mums wear a bun? Because when you wear a bun, you have a halo. And all I can say is those like mm. hair wands are your best oh, friend. Yeah. I, I can relate to this because I still have the little like me too yeah. three years postpartum and I've still got like when the hairdresser blow dries my hair she's like look at all this underneath growth and it's still like probably four inches of hair. like a mini mullet yeah underneath. everywhere you can't get excited when it won't like join up to the rest of your hair like, I know. Oh, <laughs> your hair grows. Thanks. <laughs> and is there anything we can take you know there's lots of supplements, shampoos, et cetera, that are marketed to help with that postpartum hair loss or the postpartum hair regrowth. Is there anything that you think actually works or is it unfortunately something we have to write out? So it is something that you have to, like that I would encourage patients to write out, you know, and not get sucked into the social media world of supplements and things that can get marketed to you because it always happens at 2am because you're like Googling and then you get Mm. flooded and you're like, oh my gosh, maybe I should purchase. But, you know, eating a healthy diet and, you know, when you are you know, sort of new, in that newborn phase of being mum when things are, you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, you know, things have definitely changed. Is I know it's easier said than done, but try to prioritise you as well. So trying to at least have one or two meals a day where you've like loaded up on nutrients because even though a Vegemite sandwich is really yummy, but it's not going to give you those nutrients that will help with, I'm going to say, hair growth or even just skin. Vitality. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Try to nourish your insides. Absolutely. Now, I have a big question and I'm absolutely going to be posting it on our social media, but... No pressure. Who is a popper? Do you pop a pimple or do you not pop a (laughs) pimple? What does the professional say? The professional will put the hat on and say not to pop, and then I'll take my hat off and, and go. And you'll pop. And you can't help it. <laughs> um, I, I know even personally, literally, if I got closer to the screen, I popped something this morning, couldn't help myself. And I, so- I'm not a popper. Sophie, are you a popper? I'm a popper. I cannot not pop. No, I'm not a popper. I hate that. So stuff. even blackheads, are you meant to just leave them? Like, oh, uh, so it's about how much pressure and force you put behind it because sometimes we just can't help it and we're literally getting behind it, and you know our fingernails are literally causing trauma <laughs> to the skin because we're just like, come on, little baby, like come out. And so you don't want to put that much force behind it. Like if it's not coming, it's not ready. Leave it brew for another day or so. But if it's like literally like a juicy little white head and you're just like, I would prefer to walk around with a big red spot than a white one. And I would just say, wash your face, 
wash your hands and just be gentle or use like cotton tips because you can't get as much force out of cotton tip as you can your fingers. Mm. And will it go down on its own if you're not a popper? Yeah, a little bit. Blackheads may not be. They're a little bit more like I'm going to say stuck in their ways. So you might need some help to get them going. Try not to obviously pop them, but even using like some, you know, deeper cleansers and things that will get your skin cells turning over, then yeah, definitely. But yeah, little like whitehead pimple stuff will eventually go down by itself if you're not a popper. I love popping so much that I literally <laughs> said to my husband the other day, so he used to do a lot of jujitsu and in that you get like sweaty and you're rolling around a lot and you're kind of in your own sweat. So he would get back little pimples. pimples and blackheads and stuff on his shoulders, on his back, and he kept getting injured too much. So he doesn't do it that much anymore and he surfs instead and like the salt water is really good for his skin. <laughs> and I had got angry at him the other day. I was like, can you go back to jujitsu? <laughs> because I kept searching his back and his face for stuff and his skin was too good. I was like, you've taken away one of my favourite hobbies. A little stress relief. I get to just sit there and methodically pop these guys. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, moving on for a big one for lots of people, stretch marks. And we're definitely in no way saying that people should want to get rid of their stretch marks, but the reality is that a lot of people do or they want to decrease them. Is there anything that works on stretch marks, either, you know, oils to avoid it or once they've come up, things that can help? So I guess the biggest thing to, I I would encourage early pregnancy, if you're not displaying those signs of the dry skin, is to exfoliate, you know, maybe two times in a week. Even if it's just putting like your gentle cleanser on your face washer and doing like a mechanical sort of like scrub with your face washer. Or for instance, I've randomly, I won't plug the brand, but I use like a coffee scrub just to help on my own body and then moisturize over the top of that so that you're getting those skin cells turning over so that they're, you know, getting less kind of sticky and then moisturize so that the skin kind of has I say a little bit of an elastic stretch to it because the stretch marks happen because there's no stretch Ah. left for the skin to give. So if you can try to start that earlier in pregnancy, I wouldn't get swept up on, you know, the oils, like the branded oils that say like four stretch marks, literally just your your moisturizer, like whatever you've got at home that's, you know, sort of fragrance-free and actually going to hydrate the skin, then I would definitely use like moisturizers but again it's a bit of a genetic thing like if your mom or your grandma had stretch marks during pregnancy it's going to be fairly likely that you will develop them and yes there's nothing that we can truly do to fully prevent them and then post-treatment it's more about trying to I'm going to say change the shift between what you're seeing visually. So a lot of the time a fresh stretch mark will be that purple red, Mm. which that's where people get, I'm going to say, more concerned because they're literally like people can see it when I'm at the beach. We would encourage like vascular lasers. So this would be something you'd have to see somebody for, but vascular lasers, which would help change the colour. And then you will also notice like the texture is different. So like it'll be like normal skin and then it'll drop a little bit. And so what we're trying to do is just stimulate some collagen underneath with a different type of laser. So fractionated lasers commonly to get that collagen to kind of plump up a little bit so that when you run your hand over it, it's not so like, yeah, but you may not truly get rid of a stretch mask postpartum. And what about C-section scars and the, like once your boobs go, Back to nothing. I was going to say back to what they never <laughs> they never back. ever grew. Back to pancakes. I've got like little sun rays, scars, all stretch marks all around my nipples. Um, it, would LED be beneficial for something like that or nothing's going to fix not, this? Not really. Once the skin has stretched, assume it's like trauma. It's It's gone through that kind of like break and that you kind of need some really big guns. Implants. Oh. Okay. No. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> you don't mean I'm bigger sorry. guns as in bigger tits. You mean a more hectic treatment. Yeah, I'm not flushing. Jade, all you need is a big set of bolt-ons and you'll be right, mate. Yeah, <laughs> dense them out. But, yeah, bigger guns in terms of treatments will help more, like I'm going to say, stimulate that collagen from within 
As for C-section scars, taping is a big, big thing. So commonly they won't do it when you're in hospital, but even like brown micropore tape will help put pressure and sort of like stretch the tension that's over that wound. So it's not just on the wound itself, like the line which got sutured, but brown micropore tape. Sorry, just quickly, just so that's like horizontally with the scar. Yep. Okay. Placed along along the scar, you can get fancier tapes that have silicon in it. And again, what you're just trying to do is like sort of put that tension so that it's not purely on the scar line, that it's like spaced like wider, and that will help put downward support and like I say outside support so that it's not feeling like it's being stretched so that the scar can get all its little helper cells to be able to heal it up and then once the scar is probably like two to three weeks old then you can use topical silicon as well as massage so Mm. easiest place to massage is in a shower with body wash and that will help break up some of that scar tissue that starts to form in the area especially if it's starting to like get lumpy. And should massage hurt? Um, It'll hurt in the beginning because the scar has literally got all your nerves and everything wrapped so you will find like when you first start it that you might just be putting very light little pressure because you just can't stand it and then as this sort of scar is getting older then you might actually feel that you can actually get in there with a little bit more pressure from your fingertips and kind of break that scar up a little bit further and on a plus side with scars they're actually like I know we're you know, if you can and you want to get rid of them, that's great. But I sat there the other day with my kids and they were like, mom, what's this? Cause I scar very easily. And we took a journey from my toe all the way up to my breasts. <laughs> and I told them stories about my whole life. And it was so cool. Cause even though, you know, like you can look at, not anyone's looking at me going, oh, you've got a scar, but it made me have a different appreciation. Absolutely. Of for yeah. everything that I was telling them, they were like, oh, cool. You slipped in slime and then you got that and you did this and that tits from you and that tits from you and thank you for coming. (laughs) I, I agree. Scars are a part of you. They do tell a bit of a story, but some of the ones that are more like symptomatic or more, I'm going to say, not quite cosmetic appealing, whether or not that's yeah, that's for anybody to decide, but you kind of may want treatment or you just go, this was, you know, this is me remembering pregnancy from for all these years to come. So, yeah. Now, last question to finish us off. A very common theme after people have babies is you're tired. You can catch yourself in the mirror and go, who the fuck is that? (laughs) And where did my fresh face go? Now, we've done an entire episode with a cosmetic nurse on Botox, but say for someone like myself who I'm not ready for Botox yet, but sometimes I look in the mirror no, mentally not no. ready. I may well be very <laughs> physically ready. You know, if someone who's wanting to avoid Botox or just isn't there yet, what is your number one go-to for just being, just just to look a bit fresher, pick you up in those tired, tired Botox. days? <laughs> I've got to say that, but if you can't because you're you know, pregnant or breastfeeding, then that's not an option for you. But I would go to say, I, literally, this sounds so like lame, but a good cleanse, like being in the shower, being, I'm going to say by yourself without any tears or anybody Mm. disrupting a nice cleanse. Yeah. I know what a dream, Dream. a nice cleanse in the shower and then legit coming out of the shower while your skin's still that little bit dewy, popping on some moisturizer. If you've got some like fancy skincare ingredients in your, you know, sort of collection, hyaluronic acid would go on first and then a moisturizer. But if you're lucky enough to be able to go into a clinic, then like what you were saying before, Sophie with the LED, I would say that would be, your, you know, sort of like little pick me up because yeah. you can kind of you'd be pretty adventurous with LEDs with joining like a chemical peel or, you know, a little skin treatment on top of that. But yeah, that would be. What about vitamin little. C serum? I love that stuff. All that. Like it's like, it sounds crazy, but it just depends on who you are and what you've yeah. got because like I'm lucky I've got them all, but some patients will just want to prioritize one thing. And if it is that I'm going to say to try to plump the skin up and feel less tired, 
then I would go to say, yeah, hyaluronic acid in the moisture. Thank you so much, Emily. I feel like we've learned, well, I feel like I've learned so much. Thank <laughs> you. Okay. Basically, the main thing I've learned is it's all the same thing with the different <laughs> yeah, names. Pretty much. We'll just swap the name out and just tell you to moisturize with something else. <laughs> and wear sunscreen. Yeah. And that's it. Now, thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on and answering everyone's questions. And we hope everyone listening has got something out of it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.